The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Looking to improve your health but don't know where to start? Nourish by Nature Made's five-minute quiz removes the guesswork from your vitamin regimen. I took the quiz and focused all my answers on my internal health and wellness, and I'm super excited to see how this supports my mood and sleep. Backed by 45 years of science, Nature Made is the number one pharmacist-recommended vitamin and supplement brand, so you know you can trust them to help you find the supplements that are right for you. Visit Nourish.com to create your personalized vitamin package today. At the end of the day, we're only going to be our best if I can get the best out of the kids. That's building their confidence. But it's also them knowing that I care. It's not just about the winning. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everybody. I hope you're doing well. I hope you had an awesome holiday last week and a great weekend. And I hope that this week has started off great. I am literally so excited for today's guest. I am still in awe that we even got her on this show. She has been on the Ellen DeGeneres show, Oprah's live tour. She was a star on the most recent season of Dancing with the Stars. And many of you know and love her from the hit Netflix documentary, Cheer. Joining me today is Monica Aldama, the head coach of the 14-time national championship winning Navarro College Cheer team. She is an incredible coach. She's worked with incredible athletes and really has redefined what it means to be a cheerleader for so many of us who didn't really understand the grind and the grit and the determination that went into these routines and competing as a cheerleader. On this episode, Monica is going to dive into her experience as a coach at Navarro. Obviously, we're definitely going to talk about Dancing with the Stars, so don't worry about that. And we are also going to talk about how she established such a successful championship culture at Navarro. Also, you guys know me. We are, of course, going to jump into mental health. I asked Monica, when does she draw the line between hard work and mental health? And it's just great as a former player and athlete myself to sit down with such an amazing coach and have a conversation about all of these things. So whether you're an athlete, a coach, a cheer junkie, a competitor, or just interested in Monica and hearing more about her story, this episode is for you. And I am so excited for you to hear our conversation. Right before we start, though, I do want to give a shout out to Allie. She left such a heartwarming review for the podcast. She said, Real Pod is the best podcast I have ever listened to. I'm interrupting. This is my commentary now. Thank you. I am truly honored. Okay, back to the review. Victoria hosts conversations that are honest, raw, and vulnerable, speaking on topics that help break the stigma surrounding mental health and showing people like myself that they are not alone. I'm a collegiate athlete and have had my fair share of battles with mental health and body image, and Victoria just gets it. When I listen to RealPod, I feel seen. Victoria, if you see this, just know that you've helped me get through some of my toughest times in life, and I look forward to your podcast every Wednesday. Oh my gosh, Allie, this literally sets my heart on fire. I actually saw this review when I was driving with Max and I literally read it to him because I was just so touched. So thank you so much for reviewing the podcast, Allie, and for leaving such a heartfelt message. If you have yet to review this podcast, make sure you go to iTunes and you hit the five-star button and you write a review. It takes literally less than 20, 15 seconds. So I would really appreciate it if you left a review, if you've been enjoying the show. 
Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Monica Aldama, head coach and star of Netflix's Cheer. How are you doing? Looks like you're right back home. This is the visual I saw in Netflix. (laughs) Yes, I'm back home, back at work. So I'm in my happy place. So how are you doing? I know you're competitive, so you must have wanted the mirror ball. We're probably a little bummed, but I mean, is the body happy to be done? (laughs) Oh my gosh. My back has hurt since the first week that I was there. And I think I just, you know, I was, I mean, I'm older. And I was not in shape to go. I was not physically prepared to go from zero to 100 like that because I didn't know. Although I had talked to some people, the team and I had been invited to Dancing with the Stars live tour back in March, right before the pandemic happened. And I'm a huge fan of the show. I've watched since season one. So super excited to go. We went to the show. We got to go backstage and meet meet the cast. So I actually met Val back there. And the first thing he said to me was that he wanted me to be his partner. So I, you know, I was like, Whoa, I mean, obviously he planted the seed back in March, but I didn't hear anything else about it until about a week before I flew out to LA. So I definitely did not quarantine in the way that I should have had I known that I was going to be on dancing with the stars because I definitely am a competitor. I would have worked out. I would have studied ballroom dancing. I knew nothing. So I definitely went in not physically prepared. And I knew nothing about dance. I don't, I don't have a dance background. I have a cheerleading background and a lot of people kind of think that those are the same, but they're completely different. So yeah, I mean, I went in not prepared, but uh, you know, I didn't have a choice because it was so last minute. So my back was having to do a lot of bending that it hasn't done in a long time. (laughs) I was putting a lot of pressure on it. So my back was pretty much hurting after the first week. So I took a lot of Tylenol and ibuprofen that I, and I don't really like to take medicine at all. So, you know, just the fact that I was having to take that every day just to get through rehearsals was already kind of crazy to me. But yeah, my body's definitely happy to have a little break, but yeah, I've been trying to work out some and it still hurts my back. So we'll I'll have to go probably get it checked out or something. I don't know. It's so funny you say that about the medicine. I'm the same way. I would, I'm like, I don't want an Advil. I'm like, I would rather feel my pain and know where my body's at than like numb this. So I- exactly. <laughs> but did part of you feel like, oh, I might be able to swing this. It's just dancing. Like being honest, I think before you actually try ballroom dancing, it looks like, you know, not easy, but it looks like it's probably not going to hurt you as bad as it did. Oh, absolutely. Plus, I'm competitive. So I'm always up for any challenge. You know, I think I could probably go and play baseball with somebody in the pros or something. I mean, that's how much weird confidence I have in myself. (laughs) So I I was up for the challenge. I was like, how how hard could it be? You know, but it was actually very hard. I much harder than I thought. And the technique, you know, obviously, it's a it's you, you have to have the technique down. And the way that my body has been trained for since I was little was kind of completely different than what you have to do in ballroom dancing. So I got yelled at quite a bit for my posture because you want your shoulders down in ballroom dancing. And I'm very, I've trained my body to have my shoulders up so much that it was a natural instinct for me just to be in this certain position that was completely opposite than ballroom dancing. So it was, 
not just learning something new, but kind of retraining my body to do something that felt very unnatural. So that, and then just the mental part of it, it, it was, it was strange because I am so confident in most things that I do. And I, I felt very inadequate and I felt very vulnerable and I'm not really used to being in that kind of position. So it was tough physically and it was tough mentally. Right. Cause you're usually the coach and now here you are being coached and waiting for your score and your evaluation. Was any part of you like, is this how my kids feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I definitely, yeah, for sure. But I, even as the coach, I've, I think I've trained myself to be very gracious, even when you lose, because when you lose, those are really some of the biggest moments of growth. So my mindset with bad scores was fine. I mean, I still ha- had an attitude of gratitude for being there. So that was not a problem. I just couldn't understand the score. So that was the part I was kind of beating myself up on because I'm so used to a score sheet. I'm so used to a rubric, which is what we get that shows you what range you can score in based on the difficulty that you're doing and the technique. So it's very easy for me to create a routine based on how I want it to score. Obviously we have to execute, but I know that if we're doing certain skills in a certain range, that at least that's the range that we're shooting for. And with this, I learned quickly, it was a reality TV show (laughs) that was produced. So I had to kind of let that go. It really kind of ate me up the first two or three weeks. I really wanted to know, like, what are they looking for? What am I going to get scored on? And Val kept telling me, you're overthinking it. Just relax. And so, you know, in order to not kind of let that stress me out, I just had to let that go and go, you know what? It's a reality TV show. I just need to, you know, put that in my mind. I'm going to go work as hard as I can. But at the end of the day, if they don't like what I'm doing, they don't like what I'm doing. and, And that's all I can do. It's interesting how the way you approached the ballroom dancing and had this whole shock value of like what it actually takes is similar to how most of the world felt watching the cheer documentary, because I remember putting that on like, I don't know, we've seen Bring It On. We've seen these movies that don't actually depict now to what I know you guys actually do. And so watching that documentary, I think so many people were like, this is cheerleading this because that looked insane and just interesting how you kind of had that realization. And then so did the world when they watched the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, exactly. You're right. And I, I mean, you know, one of the reasons that I was open to doing the documentary cheer was because I felt like what we do is so special. You know, the family bond that we have, the work ethic that we have is special And I knew already that, you know, cheerleading has a stereotype because of bring it on and and all the, the movies where it's the dumb mean girl. And that's really all it is when really it's athletic, it's a sport, it's difficult, it's challenging. And there's kids that come from all different backgrounds that are involved in cheerleading. It's really evolved over the past, I don't know, 30 years or so. Because I would say the reason there is a stereotype is because, you know, back a long, long time ago when we didn't have all-star cheerleading, which is like club cheerleading, you just had school cheerleading. A lot of the ways that people made school cheerleader was sometimes through popularity vote 
or something like that. So it was a whole different type of cheerleading back many, many, many years ago. But all-star cheerleading came along, which is equivalent to like club baseball or, you know, club volleyball, uh, where you're actually very serious about it and you're there to work hard every day. And so all of these gyms started opening up and these kids were being trained from the time they could walk up until however old they wanted to be competing. And, and so they were competing at a very early age and they learned this work ethic. And a lot of these kids, you know, came to the gym because they didn't feel like they fit in at school. They didn't feel like, I mean, it was their safe place. It was their happy place. So it was, you know, these kids that were all from different backgrounds coming together for something that they love and that they're very passionate about. And so it's very different than it was a long time ago when it was some popularity contest. And I was happy for the world to get to see what it really truly is all about. And I'm glad that obviously everything paid off and it's been such a success and the team ended up doing well. But part of me in watching it, I just thought, I'm surprised this coach at the time, you know, you, I'm like, I'm surprised Monica Aldama allowed them to be filmed because, you know, most coaches are like any distraction, any shred of social media, fame, like any bit of that would just interfere with my main goal, which is winning. Did that conversation in your head play a role when you were deciding? No, not at all. Because number one, we had no idea that the show would be so successful. It's about cheerleading, which there is that stereotype. So I, I kind of, I was hoping that the people in the cheer community would want to watch it. And like I said, I thought of it more as an opportunity to showcase what I thought was a very special program, you know, that I've built. And, you know, the fact that they were in there filming, we, we had, we built a very good relationship with the producers, the creator of the show, and then really all of the crew. So it was that kind of good faith relationship that I had built before we even started filming that made me feel comfortable that there would be no distractions because even though it was a lot more work than I ever anticipated, they did, you know, kind of reassure us that they would be like a fly on the wall. They wouldn't interrupt practice or anything like that. And, you know, it was kind of strange the first couple of days because I would be talking and then I would feel something (laughs) come up, you know, behind me and it would be a camera. And I had to get used to the fact that you know, there would, a camera might come slowly in or a boom might would be, you know, that I would be saying something they really wanted to catch and it would come, you know, out of nowhere. But I got used to that. And we were so focused on competition that we didn't, you know, let them being there distract us at all. We would forget that we're being filmed at times, you know, so during the filming, it wasn't an issue at all. And then, like I said, we had no idea that the show would be so successful. So, we didn't know that after it came out that we would be flying to New York or California and doing publicity when our next Daytona season was going to be starting. So it was, you know, we, we didn't anticipate that. The other part of the documentary that made it so special, it was so not only the shock of how intense cheer is and how incredible these athletes are, but the vulnerability and the storylines that were very raw and real. And a lot of those came from players. Did anyone expect that to be a piece of this documentary? I mean, were people maybe like, I don't want to open up because so many different players got candid and allowed their lives to be shown, which turned out incredible. But I could imagine at the time, 
maybe feeling some sort of who's going to see this and how are they cutting this? And this is my childhood like trauma, you know, for lack of a better term. So how did that come about? I mean, you know, I had watched Last Chance You, which is which was one of their docu series that they are well known for. So I knew that there in in Last Chance You that some of the you know the players opened up about their personal lives and stuff. But at the same time, I, I wasn't really registering that that kind of piece of it. I knew that they kind of had picked some kids that they were interested in following, and they had done some home visits and interviews. And I knew the kids' stories. Some of them I didn't know in detail the way that I heard it back, which was, you know, I mean, I cried. <laughs> watch it, I've watched it multiple times and it was hard to watch because they are like my kids. And, you know, it's even though you know the story, when you hear the details and you see the pain coming out, it's hard to watch. But once again, I think it was the fact that we had such a trusting relationship with the producers and we... I mean, you, you're right, though. You, when you are filming something, it could be edited anyway. But the relationship we had that with them was they just were here to tell our story, whatever the story was, good, bad, or ugly. And, you know, we had enough faith in our program. And, and I think that's what made the kids feel like they could open up. And kind of just like I wanted the world to see what cheerleading was really about, they wanted to see that people can make it no matter what. I and mean, that's the amazing part about these kids. They didn't let their past define their future. They did not let where they came from hold them back. They're here. They're being successful. They're getting college degrees. It's, it's really amazing. It's hopeful, you know? So hopeful. So amazing. And you play a huge role in that, in helping motivate and channel that passion to the mat, which... I can imagine is really tough for you to do. That's an extra thing you have to do as a coach. I mean, you think of these coaches all around the country who maybe some of them coach at these top D1 schools, getting kids who like are possibly not having the situations that are so rare and challenging that your kids experience, which are tougher than most. So as a coach, how do you establish culture, whether it's in the beginning of the season or consider that extra component that you're athlete might be going through? I mean, we, we have built a program that, you know, really has a championship culture. We have expectations coming in. The thing about it is though, I, I started coaching when I was very young. I had no experience coaching. I don't even know why they hired me here to be honest. I saw that. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I was 22 years old. I mean, I was the same age as some of the kids on the team. So, but I loved cheerleading so much. It was a passion of mine, not something that I thought I would ever be doing as a career, but it just, things just happened. I think it was really God's plan that I was going to be here and I just didn't know it. I thought I was going to be in the business world, but, but when I got here, I was, you know, I, I didn't know anything about coaching. I knew about cheerleading. So I had to learn through trial and error, ups and downs, you know, successes and failures, how to be a good coach. And I didn't realize coming in that a big piece of that is you have to be a mother figure. You have to be a counselor. You have to be an advisor. You have to be a friend. You have to be all, you have to wear all these hats because these kids are all different. They all need something different from you and you have to learn how to get the best out of them whether it's the way you're coaching them or what you can provide them outside of cheerleading, 
but my number one goal has always been to make these kids successful adults, you know, take the cheerleading out of it. I wanted more for them. I wanted, you know, a lot of them have never had any structure in their life at all. No one that ever set an expectation for them. And, and I don't mean cheerleading, but an expectation in life. Like this is what you could have if you work hard enough, if you focus, if you, you know, whatever, but just good people that could be successful. And that's truly what I wanted for them. So it was a very, you know, I mean, I still am learning I, I, every year at the end of the season, I evaluate what I could have done better, uh, what situations I could have, you know, dealt with differently. But at the end of the day, it's way more than just cheerleading. Hey guys, it's Victoria popping in real quick. Do you ever wish that you could ask me a question or wish you could share your commentary or your thoughts and feelings with me and get a response back? Well, I wanted to share with you a new service I just joined called Hey Hero. If you head to heyhero.com slash influencer slash Victoria Garrick for a small fee, you can ask me any question you want and I will send you a personalized video response back. Yes, give me your name. Give me your question. I will take a selfie video and respond with my answer to hopefully help you in any way that you need. So you can head to heyhero.com slash influencer slash Victoria Garrick. And for a small fee, ask me a question and get a personalized video response back. So next time you're ever wondering something or you want to get in touch with me, head on over to Hey Hero. If only there was a quick and easy way to figure out what vitamins are right for you. Oh, wait, there is. Nourished by Nature Made is a personalized vitamin subscription. Backed by 45 years of science, they're the number one pharmacist recommended vitamin and supplement brand. The right nutrition delivered right to your door on a monthly basis. Their personalized packaging is tailored to all things that make you, you. Visit nourish.com to take a five-minute assessment and remove the guesswork from your vitamin regimen. I took the quiz and focused all my answers on my internal health and wellness, and I'm super excited to see how this supports my mood and sleep. Let's get back to this episode. As a player, former player, it's only been a year, but I, I just hear you talk about caring about each of your players and I can't help but like envy that, that those kids get that because there are so many coaches that that's just not where they want to spend their time. Like it is win, it is show up, here's the practice plan. It is keep it off the court. And, you know, I've had environments where like it just, it wasn't aligned with how I needed to be coached. Maybe someone else did. And I'm, I'm kind of like you, I'm competitive. I don't like to be needy. Like I can show up and do what you need me to do. But I found myself like there was, I've had situations where I'm super talkative and confrontational. So when I don't know what you want or you don't express to me exactly how you're thinking and feeling, then I'm going to create anxieties in my own head. That's going to affect the way I play. I'm going to assume the worst. And hey, maybe I shouldn't do those things, but I'm 18. I'm 19. I do those things. So I need you as the adult like to, to be confrontational and to tell me things. And I mean, how important is it for coaches to do exactly what you just said and develop those relationships and have a special ability to cater the way that their style is with each kid? Well, I mean, I think that's really one of the big pieces of success because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're only going to be our best if I can get the best out of the kids. That's building their confidence, but it's also them knowing that I care. It's not just about the winning. Yes, that's the, that's the ultimate feeling at the end of the season, but we are together pretty much every day. I mean, 
we're together. I'm with them a, a lot of times more than I'm with my family because we're so busy. We have so many things going on. They have to know that I care about them and, and they do because of the way that I treat them. And I, and I also try to be very respectful of, of each kid. Um, when we have, when I have an issue, I try not to embarrass them because they are young and that is humiliating when you are embarrassed. And I know a lot of coaches go that pathway. That's part of their coaching, but I always will have a personal conversation when I feel like there's an issue going on on the mat. You know, I call them to my office or I pull them to the side and have an adult conversation, like a respectful conversation, the way I would want someone to approach me. Um, you don't have to be angry and yelling all the time. That's not how you get the best out of, out of people, in my opinion. So I always am very respectful. I have a conversation like, let's just see what's, what's going on. How are you feeling? What's the problem? How can we fix it? That doesn't always fix it, but it's the first, that's how we start. And then sometimes that's even multiple conversations, multiple times that we're going to meet in my office. Do I ever get mad and yell? Of course. I mean, that happens too, especially if we've had multiple (laughs) conversations. But, you know, my strategy is always to try to treat each one with respect in the way that I would want to be talked to and, and, and treated. And, and these are people, they're not just my little game pieces that I'm trying to win a, a, you know, a championship with. These are truly young adults that need someone to care, someone to reach out, someone to know what's going on in their life that's causing them to act a certain way or to hold back or to be angry at someone else, whatever. I mean, they're, I mean, it's college kids. There's a whole, whole bunch of different scenarios, but you know, I think when you can, you get the best out of each individual when they feel like they have a purpose there and you care about them and it is way bigger than just cheerleading. And the biggest thing is I have found is the kids work so hard because they don't want to disappoint me. I mean, isn't that's kind of, you know, that's great. Respecting that's your coach is so the best motivation you could have as a player is respect yeah. for your coach. And if there's no respect, I mean, it's, it's just terrible for the culture and there's no, not going to be winning on the most important. Absolutely. Stage. Absolutely. You mentioned this chess piece analogy. I want to dive into this because I've always thought, you know, like at the higher levels, whether it's at Navarro, whether it's the Olympic team, the coach is there to make the team win. Like when we diet down, that's it. It's great to have those relationships. So how do you like, what's the fine line between at the end of the day, like no matter who you love or care for the most or have had the most conversations with or who's worked the hardest, aren't you going to put the best players on the mat? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I tell them that up front. I tell them that up front, you know, I tell them that because, you know, sometimes they get jealous if someone comes and talks to me more than someone else. And, you know, that's not me initiating that. That's, you know, some kids are just more social than others. They like to come say, how's your day going? And, but then I can see that there's a little bit of jealousy. Oh, you like this person more. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I like, you know, I like good people. That's what I like. I like good people. And I see that whether you're quiet, whether you're social, you know, I want to see you come in here and work hard, but, but I, you know, I definitely care about every single one. I try to always remember, I mean, my years of experience, I try to make sure I remember even the quiet ones. Let me go and make a point to talk to them so that they, they feel that special bond too. But like I said, I mean, it's just, 
yes, I want to win. And yes, I'm going to, we're going to work hard. We're going to strategize. I'm going to put the best people on the mat. But at the end of the day, every single one of those kids is on my team and they're a part of my family. And I'm going to treat every single one of them the same as far as expectations. Even if you're not on the mat, I still expect you to work just as hard because I mean, number one, you never know who's going to be switched in and out. But number two, you're here to get better. And maybe this isn't your year. Maybe this isn't your year to be the starter. Maybe this isn't your year, but maybe next year is. And I even told them the other day, I said, I see so many of you rookies, freshmen, that I feel like you're holding back a little bit because maybe you're intimidated at how talented some of these veterans are. But you, you have to remember they were where you are at one point they weren't as talented as they are now because they've put in the work and they've gotten there. But I need you to believe in yourself too, because next year I see some of y'all being big, huge leaders and standouts on the team as veterans, but that work doesn't just happen your second year. It's, it's all the work you put in now, you know, just because this might not be your year to be highlighted. It's a process and you're, you're getting to that point and you have to believe in yourself. You have to put the hard work in even called a couple of them over to the side just to let them know, like, this is what I see in you. And I don't know if you don't see it or you're just intimidated. And even one of them said, I'm scared that I'm going to embarrass myself. And I said, I just embarrassed myself on national TV. You have to do that sometimes <laughs> to get step out of your comfort zone. Get, but these are, this is your family. You're not going to ever be embarrassed. If you mess up, this is where you learn and grow, you know, but I'm not just working on the people that are going to be on the mat. I'm I'm looking out for every single person. Every single person, you know, has a purpose on the team. But yeah, I'm at the end of the day, definitely going to strategize and put the best people out there because I do want to win. I, I want to do a lot more than win, but I do want to win. I'm competitive and I feel like I'm very good at my job when it comes to, you know, strategizing, putting a routine together and putting the best people out there that I, that I know are going to be able to get the job done. So, you know, it's, it's all of it. I love that you do both hand in hand because that is so important. You are going to put the best out there at the end of the day, but that doesn't mean you can't treat them all with kindness, want them all to believe in themselves, want to have relationships with all of them. And I think some of those other coaches, you know, might get caught up with, it's all about the best players. So I'm screw asking about their families, screw why they're having a yeah. bad day. And that stuff is so important. How do you personally differentiate between mental toughness and mental health? Because we've seen your players are mentally tough and we know a lot of them have struggled with their mental health. And as athletes, I mean, we see all the time in sports culture, it's so easy to blur the line between like push, give, give us one more versus, oh my gosh, they actually can't. Like, even though we can't see what's happening, it's mental health. There's something really going on here and they can't, they can't quote unquote show up today. So how do you navigate understanding what someone's going through from the coaching perspective? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting question because that is an important piece. I mean, not someone's parents are going through a divorce or they're going through a really hard breakup with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They are in a different mental state. And there have been, I mean, you know, overall, we like to, to know that we can push through practice no matter what's going on. But there are some days you're just not mentally checked in. There's been times in the past where, you know, I've, told people not to come to practice. You need to, and there's been plenty of those times for all sorts of different situations. 
I knew that they just, they wouldn't be able to handle it that day. You know, they needed time to, they needed a cry session. They needed time to themselves, whatever it was, you know, they are mentally tough. And for the most part, we can come into practice. We can fight hard. If it's Daytona season, you know, they normally, it's sometimes it's their happy place. They come in and they're, they're able to check out of reality for two or three hours, you know, but it's just all about communication. Like I have an open door. They know that they can come and talk to me and, and hopefully they know that I'm always going to put their best interest at first. And I think they've seen that, you know, through my actions, but you know, if they want to come and talk to me and I feel like, or even if they feel like sometimes it's me forcing it on them, Hey, just go home for the day, you know? And they're like, no, I can do it. You know, we're not doing anything that important today. Like go like deal with your emotions or whatever. So, I mean, it's just being aware and being checked in to each person, you know, on a daily basis. Sometimes they try to hide it. Sometimes I don't know things that are going on. Sometimes their friends will come and tell me because they're worried about them. It's just, it really just takes a village for us to all work through, you know, life. Life is hard. Yeah, it is. It is. And sometimes no matter how badly you want to push through or be fine, you just can't. And especially at that younger age at college or even of high school athletes, it feels a lot of times like we're not in control. Like, right. We have to show up for our coach or we show up for our teammates. It's never about us. So it can be even more difficult to want to take that day off without feeling guilty the entire time. Exactly. And we do that a lot. We guilt ourselves to death. I do it all the time. I don't ever take a day off. It doesn't matter if I'm, I'm sick. I'm what, I mean, I just, I I guilt myself to death all the time, but you know, that's why it's important for us to be a village and kind of have each other's backs so that when I don't know, the friends will come and tell me whatever the, you know, worry might be about someone. And we just all work together on having each other's backs. You've found greatness, obviously, in your coaching and rewinding a tiny bit. You mentioned how you got your MBA, you were doing business, and then you fell into this position at 22. How did you go about that time? Did you look up books of like the art of coaching or incredible coaches? Um, like making that first practice plan, what was on your mind? And I think, what did you learn about yourself during that process? Because it's applicable to many people who venture out to try new things. Well, you know, I didn't know the, I didn't know anything. So I definitely, you know, had a business degree. So a lot of the classes, you know, that you take are about leadership and how to run a company, how to run a team, not, not a team, but a team at a company, which is, there's, you know, a lot of correlations about making people feel appreciated. You know, there's, there's certain things you should do when you're running a business to get the best out of your employees. So I at least had that knowledge, you know, that I was coming in with. I, you know, read, um, I don't recall because it's been a long time ago, but I read some leadership books and I sat down and watched a lot of video of the teams that were winning. What are they doing? What, what should I be looking for? I studied any kind of information I could get the score sheets or whatever. And I really kind of at that time, as far as the successful part in winning, I, you know, looked at it. Okay. What's the outcome? How do we get there? 
and I kind of went backwards and that's how I became really a big score sheet person. And I think back in the day at that time, a lot of people didn't really focus on the score sheet. They really focused on uh, who has the hardest stunts, you know, that's what's going to make you win. And I'm very math minded. So I was like, well, hang on a second. You actually win by getting the most points. Let's, let's start there. How do we win? We get the most points. How do we get the most points? Let me look at the score sheet. And I'm like, well, there's a lot more, there's a lot more areas than just partner stunts. What if I focus on all of those, you know, and that's kind of how I started creating the way a Navarro college routine looks, which is kind of, you know, a lot of people started moving to that because it was successful. But, um, I knew like if we were weaker in some areas, there was another category that was worth just as many points. And what if that was our strength? We were going to really, you know, work hard in that category. So, you know, we weren't the most talented team coming in. I mean, I've tried to, you know, there were 14 kids on the team when I got here. So to really build this program about how I wanted it to look based around the type of choreography that I enjoy. And that's what I did. But I really started with the end result. How do you, how do you win? You, you get the most points. And I worked backwards and I really tried to work the categories I knew were our strengths. And, and when the categories that were our weaknesses, you know, put content out there that I knew would score well, that would make us look our best, you know, kind of hide the fact that maybe we were weaker in that area. So I really focused it on a score sheet, math ton, kind of mentality on that. And the all the other side of coaching, which like I said earlier, is wearing so many different hats was strictly trial and error. I was like, whoa, this, you know, I didn't realize I was going to have to do all this, but I wanted to do it. I wanted to be great at it. So I really just took every single situation I ever dealt with and analyzed how I handled it and what I should have done differently, how I could have made it better because you don't, you, you really do have to do trial and error and learn. And I think one of the reasons I'm, you know, really good at what I do right now is because I've been here for so long and I've, you know, it's not a new coach coming in every two or three years. I built this program. It's very special to me and I put everything I have into it. And I have now going on 26 years of experience and there's nothing like experience. Yeah, no, it's so true. Wow. I'm just, I'm thinking of all the years you have of winning and thinking about cheer and the points and the team. Do you ever have time for self-care? Do you ever take a bath? <laughs> I do take a bath every single night because that's my, that's my little bit of downtime, oh, but yeah, but I, but you know, I am very bad at self-care. I will say that I, my life gets crazy at times and you know, in the fall, normally this, this year's different because of COVID, all of our sports got moved to the spring, but you know, normally we, we just go, go, go. We have, we cheer at volleyball, basketball, football, soccer, and we do two a days on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we'll practice our normal time. And then we come back at night and practice again for a couple of hours. And so, you know, I am gone a lot and I am working a lot of, you know, just like all coaches, you sacrifice a lot of your personal time. And, you know, I miss going, I miss a lot of, you know, opportunities to go out with friends or gatherings because I'm at a football game or I'm at a basketball game or whatever. So I do miss out on a lot. And I think because of that, I, 
get really focused on what I'm doing with work. And I, I forget that I should probably schedule time with friends to go hang out and just relax and take my mind off things. But sometimes I'm so exhausted that I just want to go home. You know, like if I have a night off, I just want to go home and, and sit on the couch for a minute. So I've tried to do better the past couple of years of really, I'm getting older. I'm like, you know, I should really focus on myself a little bit more, but it is hard when it's, when it's, you know, when you're working, you just, you're just busy. And this year, wow. uh, Before the pandemic hit, cheer came out. Like I said, we weren't prepared. And Andy and I, I think we're working 12 to 14 hours a day. I was barely hanging on by a thread when the pandemic hit. It was crazy, but I'm going to do better. I'm going to focus on myself a little bit more. Yeah, I hope so. But that must've been weirdly, obviously no one wants the pandemic, but in a way you kind of got that 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 break that you didn't have to choose. I'm also curious, how are you handling the pandemic and all the uncertainty and what kind of things are you saying to your players? Because athletes everywhere are dealing with the same heartbreak, heartbreak, because you work so hard to be good at your sport and now you can't compete. Yeah. Well, first of all, when our season got canceled back in the spring, I mean, it was devastating. We had come in and worked so hard and we were trying to handle the media and the press and everybody pulling us in a thousand different directions. And like I said, we weren't ready for that because we had no idea that the show was going to be so big. So we didn't have a plan. (laughs) We didn't have a plan for it in advance. And we were just, Andy and I specifically, were barely, you know, just holding our heads above water with everyone wanting so much from us, but we knew that our main focus was getting ready for competition. We were not going to let that slide. So, you know, we did a couple of weeks right when school started of press where we went to LA, then we went to New York. And at that point we said, you know, y'all are going to have to, if y'all want something from us, you're gonna have to come to Corsicana because we're not going to not practice. And so they did do that as well. So we're, we're putting it all in, but we had, I felt like we had worked even extra, even harder than ever before because we didn't want all the stuff around us to be a distraction. And we knew, I mean, it was a lot of pressure. We had the entire world watching us at this point. So we were actually in spring break, which we call hell week because it's a time for us to have the whole day to practice. We don't have class. We don't have any distractions. We can focus on us. So we do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of just hard practices. And, uh, you know, it's our last opportunity to really work together without the distraction of school and all our other responsibilities. So we had done 25 full outs, which for cheerleading, college cheerleading is a lot. There's been years that's all we did up until competition. We'd done 25 full outs in that period by the time we left. Well, we had done some before, but by the time we left for spring break, that's how many total we had done for the season. And we were, so we were really like ahead of ourselves. We looked so good, probably could have competed right then if we needed to. Obviously there were still a lot of areas we wanted to clean up, but we were looking that good, felt amazing. And it was the talk of the pandemic, the talk of the virus, you know, it was out in the news and stuff, but I still wasn't freaking out about our season and that was Wednesday. And then Thursday 
the NBA like suspended their season and I suddenly had like a panic attack uh, because I let the kids leave Wednesday. Like you, you get four days off to rest your bodies, rest your mind before we do this final push for Daytona. Within 24 hours, it was this panic set in like, oh my gosh, what if our season, you know, is canceled? And every day it just kind of went downhill until that Sunday. And that's when our season was canceled that fast. Thursday to Sunday, that fast, everything went downhill and our season was canceled. So we were supposed to come back to school Monday for, you know, school to start back, practices to start back. They, Navarro went all online classes. They were frantically trying to figure out what to do. So we had our season canceled. We met the next morning to turn in uniforms and tell each other bye. It was the most bizarre feeling. We didn't have time to prepare for that. Like, you know, you kind of build up like, oh, I've got all these memories left that we're going to make before the semester's over, before I have to tell these kids goodbye. And it was just taken away that fast. It wasn't even like, take away the fact that we were missing competition. We were missing the best part of our year, these memories that we make and these, you know, bonds that we built. And so it was so sad. I, I don't even cry that much, but I mean, I was just a mess. And everyone was a mess. And I took that entire week to basically mourn that situation. And I allowed myself to do that. I was like, this is, I mean, I've just, I needed a whole week just to even absorb it before I could like, go, okay, let me close this chapter. Now I'm going to focus on what we're, you know, the future. And uh, it was tough, but you know, I think the biggest thing for all athletes is we have to look at it as an attitude of gratitude. What do we still have? Like right now, we're just so happy that we're back in school and able to practice and do what we love. We don't know what the future is going to hold. My athletic director tells me every day, quit worrying about next semester. Let's take it day by day because I do tend to worry about the future a lot. But I think just being grateful for what you do have. We had our help. We weren't sick. The kids, you know, moved their classes to online. Andy and I came up here every day, checked in on their grades, called them, made sure they were, you know, being successful in school. Um, you know, you, that's all you can do is just be grateful for what you do have. You cannot let the fact that you, you know, lost this opportunity or all this work that you put in, you know, ended so soon because it's out of our control. And I definitely always try to have a positive attitude about everything because why not? Why, why focus on the negative? That's just, there's no reason to, I mean, no matter what's going on, if it's out of your control, it's out of your control. You know, if there's negative things going on that you can fix personally, then yes, you need to fix those. But when it's not in your control, let's just be grateful for what we have and focus on what's next. And that's exactly what we did. We focused on our tryouts for the next year. We focused on getting the kids through school successfully without them getting behind in their classes. And that was a huge struggle. You know, they were no longer here. They didn't have us on them all the time. They didn't have us forcing them to go to study hall. So Andy and I were handling that on the phone through FaceTime, through whatever, just staying on these kids. And, you know, so I think that's the best way you can approach anything is to look at what Look at what you do have and just stay positive. And, you know, here we are. Who would have ever thought our sports would be moved to the spring? I mean, I was hopeful. I'm, I'm always 
half, you know, the, the glass is half full. That's always my attitude. So, you know, I was hopeful through May. Oh, we're going to school will start back as normal. We'll have all sports playing. And then June came around and it was like, Oh, this is kind of, it's getting questionable. (laughs) And, um, you know, then they moved all of our sports to the spring. And that was disappointing because I do love sports. I love, I love our fall semester. It's a lot of work, but it's such great memories. And I love football. I love, I mean, volleyball is one of our favorite things to cheer at because it's so much fun. And our team went undefeated last year, (laughs) all the way to the national championship and won. I mean, it's just such great memories to make. But, you know, once again, attitude of gratitude. We're here. We're in school. We're able to practice. We'll get to enjoy those things in the spring, although it'll be much more difficult because we are also going to be in Daytona season. You know, we're going to keep a good perspective on it and just take it day by day. I love how you allowed yourself time to grieve. I think that's the most important component, I think, of what you said, because in order to have the positive outlook and to be able to move forward, you have to allow space for current emotions. And the more we suppress and we suppress and we suppress, we're not fully going to move on. So I think hearing that from you, and I, I know your players probably heard that from you, is so impactful because that's a part of the equation is cry, be sad be frustrated. Absolutely. Life's not fair, but then we can't control it. So what, what do we have and how can we move forward? Yeah. You just got to close the chapter and start the next. I love that. Monica, thank you so much. I know you're such a busy woman. You got lots of stuff to do today. I really appreciate your time. And it has just been an honor both as a, a host and as a former athlete to get to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Have an awesome day. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. To keep up with Monica, you can find her on Instagram at Monica Aldama. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and a review. I would so appreciate to hear your feedback and see your support for the show. It just means the world to me. Make sure you are subscribed to Real Pod so that every single Wednesday you get that automatic download and you are the first to listen to the show. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Real Pod. Leave your suggestions and comments about guests you want to see and your favorite takeaways from the episodes. And also you can follow me on my Instagram at Victoria Garrick. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. As always, keep it real and I will see you next week.